Today, uh, we're going to do a lot of scripture. There's a, we're actually almost going to go through an entire two chapters. And that's a lot. But what, what it is, it's a story. And I want us to, to be able to just enjoy that story, get into that story, settle into that story. And as we go along, I'm going to make a few comments here and there just to kind of bring out some of what's going on. And, and more importantly, I want to see this story tie right to our experience right now at Coast Bible Church in Orange County in the year 2008. When God is on the move, nothing can stop him. No one can get in God's way. When God decides to take action, you can't stop him. We can't stop him. We might be scared. We might want to get in the way. We might be frightened and worried. We might be cowards. But God is going to get what God wants to get done, done. And more than that, when God chooses to use his people to get his work done, he helps us along. He, he, he gives us a little bit, a sign here, a sign there, something to encourage our faith, just enough to keep us going, just enough to give us one more step. And that's what we're going to see today in the story. We're going to be in the Old Testament. Uh, Gideon. I don't know if you know this story. Um, I want to catch you up to speed. We are, we've, uh, the, the Israelites have been rescued from, from slavery in Egypt. God has done these amazing things. He's, he's sent plagues and he's, and he's harmed the Egyptians. He's split the, the sea and the Red Sea into two. And the leader of the Israelites at that time is Moses. Moses is a terrible, terrible leader. He doesn't want to lead. He can't stand the idea of public speaking. He's afraid. He's not sure that, that God's really going to be there for him. And so God pulls him, kicking and, scre- and screaming, into the leadership of the people of Israel. And then through Moses brings them out of the land, brings them out of Egypt and into the land. And when they get to the land, Joshua leads the forces of, of Israel as they take back the land from the, the tribes that are living there. And as they go through this, the the Israelites, they fail to completely take control of the land. They don't have all of it, but they have enough. And the twelve tribes settle. And after this, a cycle begins. And in this cycle, what happens is the Israelites remember who Yahweh is, and they worship Yahweh and Yahweh alone. And then they set their eyes somewhere else. And so God punishes them. And he gives them over into the hands of their enemies. And this will, this will occur for a while. And then the Israelites will remember, ah, we have forsaken our God. And they will come back to God and they will say, God, please, remember us. And God will hear their prayer and will deliver them through a special person or a judge. Right now, we, are in set, we have just finished seven years of bad luck. The Israelites have been given over to the Midianites and the Amalekites neighboring tribes. They have been starving. They have been oppressed. They have been hurt. And they're crying out. And once again, God hears their prayer. So I invite you to step into, step underneath the oak tree that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, with me. We're in uh, Judges 6. I I, honestly, I would would actually like it if if maybe you would just, just listen and just, just be present to the story. I think sometimes we get lost in the text. And I don't want that to happen. I want, I want you to set yourself there. 
and be in this place with me. Verse 11. The angel of Yahweh came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, Yahweh is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, master, Gideon replied, but, but if Yahweh is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not Yahweh bring us up out of Egypt? But now he's abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Yahweh turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, master, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, which is considered to be the weakest of the tribes of the sun. And I am the least, the smallest, the weakest of my family. Yahweh answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. Yahweh said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and his broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him underneath the oak tree. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. And with the tip of the staff that was in his hands, the angel of the Lord touched the meats and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized it was an angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Yahweh, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord, the Lord said to him, Peace. Do not be afraid. You will not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abizarites. That's where Gideon's at. Gideon, not a hero. The Midianites are out there. Gideon is threshing the wheat and he's dumping it into his, his wine press where they make wine so that they won't find it. If you've seen The Magnificent Seven, you know how the story is supposed to go, how the American story goes, where what we do is we wait and when we're oppressed and when we're in trouble, we, we get a, a group of heroes to get together and they come and they stand in the way of the, of the marauders and they say, you will not, pa-. not Gideon. Gideon's afraid. He's scared. He's a coward. He's even kind of a trickster, as we'll see a little bit later. And I take a little bit of comfort in that. I take comfort in the fact that if God decides to use someone like Gideon to do what God needs to do, then he might use someone like me. 
And more than that, I think there's something to admire about Gideon. The weakling, the coward, the trickster. Because even though Gideon doesn't have all the guts and all the faith that everyone's supposed to have, he wants to believe. He wants to believe. He's sitting there, and, he, and, he, and this messenger comes to him, and he does not recognize who the messenger is. And the messenger says to him, I'm going to give you the Midianites. God is with you. And, and Gideon wants to believe. Really? I've heard all the stories. I remember the stories of how God came and delivered. And I want to believe. But it's hard. I've been there in my life, and maybe you have too, where you're looking around at the world and it just doesn't seem like God's doing much of anything at all. And you cry out and you don't hear anything in response. And I've actually had a prayer where I cried out, this is at 3.30 in the morning, at one point, I cried out and said, God, I have heard your stories, that you delivered your people to Egypt, out of Egypt and into Israel. Why don't you deliver me? That's not a lot of faith. But it's a little bit. And Yahweh is the kind of God who can take a little bit of faith and make amazing things happen. And so I encourage you, if you're ever in that place where Gideon was, where you're weak and you're scared, and you cry out, remind God, remind God of who God is, of what God has done, and beg. I admire Gideon because he wanted to believe. I think we do too. That same night, Yahweh said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to Yahweh your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as Yahweh told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than the daytime. And in the morning, in the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar, demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. He does it. He's scared. That gives me a little bit of comfort, too. I'm scared, Lord. I'm going to do it. I want to stop here and just mention uh, about Baal. Um, Baal was the storm god of the Canaanite religions. And that's only important insofar as we understand that in Israel, they, they all depended on agriculture. And so the only thing that they needed, more than anything else, was rain. And so, it's interesting, Gideon, an Israelite, lives with his father, Joash, has an estate. And at the estate, they have an Asherah, that's another local god, an Asherah pole, like a prayer pole. And they have a Baal altar. 
And maybe they have some, some other shrines. We, we don't exactly know. But the point is, is that they're, they're hedging their bets. It's been, it's been, it's been a while, right? Where, where's God been? Maybe if we just appeal to Asherah or Baal. Just make sure that we get what we need. Cover our bases. I would suggest to you that that's not very different from the way we often treat God. Yes, Yahweh, I believe in you. As long as I have this substance uh, to depend on to get me through the day. Yes, yes, Yahweh, I, I absolutely trust you. As long as I just have this important, healthy relationship with this person that matters so much to me. Yes, Yahweh, I trust you. As long as that paycheck keeps coming, as long as I have this home or I'm in this office, as long as this political party maintains power, as long as we've got the bombs. Do you cover your bases? I do. I do all the time. Um, Yeah. And I think that's wrong. And it's interesting. God is the first first order he gives to Gideon. Uh, You were going to deliver the Midianites and all that, but one thing you've got to do is you've got to clean out your house first. You've got to go in and you've got to kick down the altar to Baal. You've got to stop covering your bases and you've got to trust me. You have to trust me. And I know you're scared. And I know it's frightening. I know you're worried that the townspeople are going to come and tar and feather you and send you on your way. But you've got to trust me. And it worked out fine. It worked out great. Actually, uh, we're going to skip this part, but uh, Gideon's father like, comes to the plate. Gideon's running away, right? And his father stands up to the townspeople and says, Hey, if Baal's so great, why don't you let Baal take care of my boy? And Gideon's like, Thanks, Dad. And then Gideon goes and marshals up the forces. So we're on uh, verse 33. The bad guys are showing up. Now, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of Yahweh came on Gideon. It's actually, it's like it draped Gideon like a cloak. And he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites, his family, to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, so that they too would meet up. Gideon said to God, If, if you're really going to save Israel by my hands, as you promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor, and if there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, just like you said. And this is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Don't don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test of the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. 
Probably the first one, Gideon was worried, was a fluke, right? You know, the fleece probably would attract more water than the ground. So maybe the test wasn't, wasn't working right. Maybe, maybe he's left. Gideon hasn't changed. He's still scared. He still lacks faith. But God is on the move. And when God's on the move, nothing Gideon can do is going to stop it. When God is on the move, God is going to give Gideon the signs that he needs to keep going, to have just enough faith to get the job done. Early in the morning, this is uh, Judges 7-1, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. Yahweh said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel is going to start boasting against me, saying, My own strength has saved me. So announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Yahweh said to Gideon, "Ah, There's still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go, he shall not. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There Yahweh told him, Separate those who, who lap the water with their tongues, like a dog, from those who kneel down to drink. Yahweh said said to Gideon, With the three hundred that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the three hundred who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Okay, Gideon. Pressure's on now. I've taken you this far. I did your little fleece thing. Are you ready? Are you ready? Because I'm going to show you what happens when I move. Gideon, you thought this was about you. You thought that it was about you and your amazing ability to gather people to go off to where it's not. This is about me ruling me on the move. And now you will see what I can do. When they, when, when God, the, the test that God sets up for Gideon, the sifting test, uh, the, the idea is if, if you're, if you're the, the sort of soldier who laps like a dog, you're looking down and you're not paying attention to whether or not there are Midianites and Amalekites coming for you. If you're the sort of soldier, on the other hand, who kneels and is able to, to scoop water like this, you can pay attention, you're alert. What God's really doing is he's trying to get the worst soldiers in the army. Now, there's a, there's a tale from, uh, from ancient Greece that, that's probably true. We have pretty good um, historical evidence for it. It's called, it's called The 300. There was a movie about it, um, but it took a lot of artistic license. Um, but in this story, the 300 greatest warriors of Sparta uh, stand in this small gap called the Hot Gates, and they hold off this massive army, million-man army, for, for three days because they're so powerful, incredible, and awesome. That's not how God does things. God takes the worst, the most pathetic, the weakest, the ones who have nothing to offer, and says, when I move, 
nothing's going to get in my way. Now the camp of Midian lay, lay below him in the valley. During that night, Yahweh said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. And God really knows Gideon by this point. He says, If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So Gideon and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend, a friend his dream. I had a dream, he said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into our camp. It struck the tent, the main tent, probably the general's tent, with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing, nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon, who's eavesdropping, heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! Yahweh has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for Yahweh and for Gideon. Gideon and the 300 with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the, tr- the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. And when the 300 trumpets sounded, Yahweh caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beshetah, towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Mehalah, near Tabat. Gideon, mighty warrior. How many, how many people did he kill in this story? Gideon, rounder up of all the troops. How many did he really get? The 300 worst. Gideon, who's scared to attack. God, it even preempts him, because we know Gideon's probably going to be like, uh, one more test? God's like, don't even bother. I know. I get it. So he comes down, he's like, yes, I'm, yeah, I gave him a dream. Don't, okay, are you good? All right, let's do this. When God is on the move, nothing can get in his way. You cannot get into God's Way. I cannot get into God's way. In fact, what's really going to happen is God is going to take us and He's going to turn us around and He's going to drag us along. And every moment, He's going to be giving us just one more thing to keep us going, to keep the faith, to hold fast. Brothers and sisters, Coast Bible Church, 
Have you not noticed how God has moved here in this community in the past several months? Has it not made you quake? I've trembled to see what God has done. He's miraculously healed twice, three times. God has, has brought us together as a family where we've, we've shared with each other, we've confessed and asked for prayer. God is on the move at Coast Bible Church right now. And there's nothing we can do to stop him. He's going to drag us along. And he's going to do amazing things in Orange County through this body. But we need to take a little lesson from Gideon. Because the first thing God asks for when he gives us these signs, when he makes things happen for us, it's a prompt. It's a question. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Or do you trust that relationship, that paycheck, that substance, that, that, that Baal in your household? Go to the front yard and kick down that altar. And trust me, I will not let you down. And I know you will be scared. But I will not forsake you. I am God. What Midianites, what Amalekites do we have to drive out of the land? In Orange County? Injustice. Economic injustice. Greed. The hurt who've been left behind in broken, fractured marriages. Children who've been ignored and deserted by their parents. There is work to be done. There is stuff we need to drive out of the land. And I know it's scary and I know it's hard. But God is pulling us. And in every moment, He will give us just enough, just, just, just what we need to keep us going. It's already begun, friends. The Camp Allendale youth group rose up and we served on Saturday. That's hard. I like Saturday. We served. And, uh, Garrett has, has volunteered to be a, a camp counselor, right? A junior counselor. He's, he's giving up his week to serve a child whose family has abandoned him. Neil's announced Faith in Action Sunday. It's coming up in the fall. We're not going to meet here to worship. We're going to go out to worship. And we are going to drive the Midianites and the Amalekites out of the land. There's more to be done, friends. And when Neil asked me, he asked me to, to, to ask you this. To look, to, to, to sense where it is that the Spirit of God is moving you. What injustice, what oppression is driving you down in this community? What is it that you want to see the God of the universe overturn? And Neil wants you to share that with himself or the elders. He wants to know where the Spirit is moving in this church right now, where the Spirit speaks. Yahweh is with you, mighty warriors. And he's going to do mighty things. Let us pray.
Holy God, we confess that you are the God of Gideon and the 300. And you remain the same now as you were then. We respond, God, to the wonderful things you've been doing amongst this congregation. We confess our idols. And we ask you to give us just enough faith to kick them out. We anticipate driving out your enemies from this land. And we anticipate the glory you will receive when it will be clear that we have done nothing and you have done all. You are mighty. You are holy. You are worthy. And your love endures to every generation. In the name of Jesus and for his sake, we lift these things to you. Amen.